This is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The opinions voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up Live. Going to start out with a weekly wrap. We kind of expanded this a little bit. We're probably going to move over to the second segment a little bit. But the S and P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed lower for the week as investors reacted to this week's economic releases, along with comments from several Fed officials. Month over month, inflation data in this January Consumer Price Index was not pleasing, but the report reflected continued deceleration on a year-over-year basis. Services inflation, less energy services, was a notable exception, having accelerated to 7.2% year-over-year from 7% in December. On the heels of the CPI report, market participants received a much stronger-than-expected January retail sales report, higher-than-expected producer price data for January, and another remarkably low level of weekly initial jobless claims. The positive economic news, along with accelerating services inflation, fueled concerns about the possibility of a Fed raising rates more than previously expected and keeping them higher for longer than previously expected. On a related note, the Fed officials made comments cooperating the market's concerns. Cleveland Fed President Mester, who's a non-FOMC voter, said that she advocated for a half-point increase at the February FOMC meeting. St. Louis Fed, President Bullard, who's also a non-FOMC voter, said he wouldn't rule out supporting a 50 basis point hike at the March meeting. And Fed government, Governor Bowman, uh, who is a, is a voter, said the rate hikes uh, should continue until a lot more progress has been made on inflation. Rate hike concerns were evident on the Treasury market action this week, creating some headwinds due to evaluation constraints and increased competition for stocks. The two-year note yielded yield reached a high of 4.71%, but after setting it settling up 10 basis points to 4.61%. The 10-year note reached a high of 3.92% before settling on nine basis points at 3.83%. Notably, the one-year Treasury bill hit 5% this week and settled at 5.06%. The U.S. dollar index rose two-tenths of 1% for the week to 103.88, and roughly half of the 11 S&P 500 sectors logged the gain this week, led by consumer discretionary, which is up 1.6%, consumer staples up 0.9%. Meanwhile, the energy sector was down 6.9%, was the worst performer by a wide margin, margin amid falling oil prices. West Texas Intermediate crude futures fell 4% this week to $76.57 a barrel. Here are some truncated summaries of each of the daily action this week. Monday, the market participants were still willing to buy into weaknesses on Monday, coming off of last week's losses, which has been the case since the start of 2023. A quick dip out of the gate had the S&P 500 slipped below 4,100 level before buyers stepped in and a rally effort took root, helped along by some short covering activity and a fear of missing out on further gains. Upside leadership from the mega cap space was an important driver of the index levels. Meta platforms and Microsoft each rose more than 3% on Monday with no specific news catalyst and helped drive a 1.5% gain in the mega-cap OPTF at the uh, S&P 500, meanwhile, gained 1.1%. There was no economic data of note on Monday, but participants received the New York Fed Survey of Consumer Expectations. The survey showed that inflation expectations are mostly stable, but household income growth expectations have dropped. 
some of the key findings from the survey included that median inflation expectations remain unchanged at the one-year one year ahead horizon, decreased by two-tenths of one percentage point at the three-year ahead horizon, and increased one-point-tenth of one percent at the five-year horizon. The five percent, 2.7, and 2.5% respectively. The survey's measure of disagreement across the response, the difference between the 75th and 25th percentile of inflation expectations, decreased slightly at the one-year horizon, remained unchanged at the three-year horizon, and increased in the five-year horizon. After increasing each month since September of last year, the median expected growth in household income dropped 1.3 percentage points to 3.3%. This is the largest one-month drop in nearly 10-year history of the series. The January reading, however, is only slightly below its 12-month trading average of 3.5%, and the series remains well above the pre-pandemic levels. January's decrease was more pronounced among respondents with no more than a high school education, respondents older than 60, and those with annual household income below 50000 On Tuesday, <coughs> my Tuesday trade was mixed as investors digested the consumer price index. Briefly, total CPI increased a half a percent month over month, following last monthly upward revision of one-tenth of one percent increase, and the core CPI which excludes food and energy, increased by four-tenths of one percent month over month. On top of last what's upwardly revised, four-tenths of one percent increase. Previously, it was up to tenths of one percent. On a year-over-year basis, total CPI was up 6.4 percent, the smallest 12-month increase since the period ending October of 21, and core CPI was up 5.6 percent, which is the smallest 12-month increase since December of 21. The year-over-year increases were not as low as expected. It didn't escape notice that services inflation less energy services accelerated to 7.2% year-over-year from 7% in December. The stock market moved higher shortly after the open, with investors seemingly willing to buy a weakness before the early gains faded and the S&P 500 briefly slipped below the 4,100 level. The major indices were able to bounce somewhat, though, as Treasury yields back off their highs. The main indices ultimately closed the session well above their intraday lows, and the Treasury market was more resolute than with its reaction to the CPI data. Two-year note yield, which stood at 4.5% just before the report surged to 4.66% before settling at 463 the 10-year note at 368 before the report surged to 379 before settling at 376. So reviewing Tuesday's economic data, local CPI increased a half a percent month over month. Following last month's upwardly revised one-tenth of one percent increase, the core CPI, which excludes food and energy, increasing four-tenths of a percent month over month, on top of last month's upwardly revised four-tenths of one percent from three-tenths of one percent. The index for shelter accounted for nearly half of the monthly uh, monthly all items increase. On a year-over-year basis, total CPI was up 6.4%, the smallest 12-month increase since the period of blocks ending October of 21, and core CPI was up 5.6%, which is also the smallest 12-month increase since December of 21. Still, the year-over-year levels were not as low as expected. The key takeaway from their report is there's been a clear deceleration from peak inflation. However, the inflation rates are not nearly low enough to suggest Fed would even be thinking about cutting rates this year. If we come back, we'll continue with Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Action things to be with it. DeWard and Bodie's President's Day mattress sale is on now at their mattress showroom on Meridian next to Home Depot. Shop presidential savings up to 50% off on Whatcom County's best selection of mattresses from the industry's leading brands. Shop this President's Day weekend and get exclusive in-store coupons like an additional $100 off in-stock mattress purchases. Get savings up to $800 on select mattress sets from Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, and Sealy. Plus, get free delivery, setup, and haul away of your old mattress. Save your pre- 
payments and pay no money down and no interest up to six full years on qualifying mattress purchases. Now is your chance to get one-of-a-kind deals on closeout mattresses, floor models, and clearance savings up to 50% off. Save on adjustable bases, boxes, sheets, pillows, and more, all on sale. Don't miss the President's Day mattress sale on now at DeWard & Bodie's Bellingham Mattress Showroom and experience the best in-stock selection of mattresses, free mattress delivery, and no interest financing up to six years. Financing OAC qualifications apply. Hello, folks. Are you ready to get your estate planning affairs in order, but you don't know where to start? Would you like to hear about the difference between wills and trusts? Do you want to learn how to avoid probate? Do you have questions about Social Security and Medicare? Is it important to you to make life as easy as possible on your spouse and loved ones if something should happen to you? This is Phil George. I'm an elder law and estate planning attorney here in Bellingham. Join me right here on KGMI every Saturday at 1 p.m. for the Aging Hour, and let me show you how to set your family up for success in your retirement. Relive your favorites every day on Bellingham's newest radio station, 98.9 and AM 930 KBay. Kick off your workday with a 9 a.m. music marathon. Over an hour of commercial-free classics. Hit after hit from your favorite artists all day, every day. And the broadcast sponsor of the Bellingham Bell. Listen live online, 98.9kbay.com. Join the fun and be a part of Bellingham's newest radio station, 98.9 and AM 930 KBay. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. And I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up. Welcome back to Love with the Mind. Saturday morning, where I said it by this. We are located out in Ferndale or on the way to Ferndale, at least on the Pacific Highway in the Pacific Commerce Center next to Wilson's Furniture. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number 360-733-1200. And check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. Okay, continuing off with this week's economic reports, we found that Wednesday, Market participants received a much stronger than expected January retail sales report ahead in Wednesday's open, which reflected continued strength in the economy, but left the market concerned that the Fed will raise rates more than expected. Briefly, total sales in January were up 3% month over month, and sales excluding autos were up 2.3%. Equity started the day in retreat mode, but true to 283 form, investors stepped in to buy an early weakness. The main indices all closed the session at or near their best levels of the day. The rebound in the stock market, in spite of rising market rates, suggests perhaps that buyers were influenced more by the hopeful economic implications of January retail sales data than by its potentially adverse implications for monetary policy. High beta stocks, uplifted by the positive earnings news and guidance by the length of Airbnb, and Roblox and analog devices paced Wednesday's gains. Reviewing week Wednesday's data, we found that the weekly MBA, that's the Mortgage Association Application Index, was down 7.7%. Prior uh, month, it was down 7.4%. January's retail sales were 3%. Prior was down 1.1%. January retail sales, except the autos, were, down, were up 2.3%. Prior was revised to minus 10, one nine, nine tenths of 1%, or one tenth of 1%. The key takeaway from the report is that consumers were spending freely on goods in January despite the ongoing inflation pressure. In fact, every single sales category showed a month over month increase, led by a 7.2% surge in sales at food services and drinking places. February's Empire State Building Manufacturing Index was up minus 5.8. Uh, prior month was down 32.9. And January's industrial production was zero or flat. Prior was revised to minus 1% from 0.7%. And January's capacity utilization was a 78.3%. Prior was revised to 78.4 from 78.8. The key takeaway from the reports is that the soft reading for January can be attributed entirely to a drop in output of utilities. Otherwise, there was some out-welcome rebound strength in both mining and manufacturing output, 
the latter which saw advances in durable and non-durable and other manufacturing activity. December business inventory for three-tenths of one percent, prior was revised three-tenths of one percent, four-tenths of one percent, and the Federal February National Association Home Builders Marketing Index was a 42, prior month it was a 35. On Thursday, the stock market started and ended. There was a session and on a decidedly downbeat note. The negative bias was in response to a higher-than-expected producer price index number for January, paired with another remarkably low level of weekly initial jobless claims with fuel concerns that the Fed will not pause in its rate hikes in the near future. The main indices sank shortly after the opening, and there was a fairly strong recovery effort taking place throughout most of the session. The recovery coincided with buyers stepping in when the S&P 500 breached the 4,100 level, along with Treasury yields backing down from their post data to these highs. There was a sharp reverse in the last hour of trading that had major indices close the session at, at or near the worst levels of the day, which took the S&P 500 below the 4,100 level again. The late afternoon plunge was precipitated by St. Louis Fed, Fred, Fed President James Fuller not an FOMC voter, saying that he wouldn't rule out supporting a half-point increase at the March FOMC meeting, adding that he advocated for a half-point increase at the February meeting, according to Bloomberg. To be fair, the initial recovery effort happened after Cleveland President Nestor, not an FOMC voter, said earlier today, or on Thursday, that she was advocating for a 50-point basis hike at the February 1st meeting as well. Nonetheless, the stock market used Bullard's position as an excuse to rein in some of its recovery enthusiasm. <coughs> Reviewing Thursday's economic data, January housing starts, 1.309 million. Uh, prior, prior was revised to 1.271 million from 1.382 million. January building permits were 1.339 million. And that was revised uh, prior the prior month in December was revised to 1.337 from 1.30. The key takeaway from the report was a lack of growth in both single-family starts down 4.3% and permits down 1.8%, which is a reflection of the adverse impact of rising interest rates and ongoing inflation pressures that are crimping builders' willingness to build new homes and buyers' willingness to purchase new homes due to affordability constraints. The January producer price index was at 0.7%. Prior was revised to minus two-tenths of 1% from a half a percent, so that was definitely an increase. And the January core PPI was at a half percent. Prior was revised to three-tenths of 1% from one-tenth of 1%. The key takeaway from the report for the market is that the headline inflation was hotter than expected on a monthly basis. And that will stroke worries about inflation pressures persisting at higher levels for longer than expected, and the Fed keeping rates higher for longer than even though there was an improvement on a year-over-year basis. Weekly initial job claims were 194,000. Prior was revised to 195,000 from 196, and weekly continuing claims are 1.69 million. Uh, prior was revised to 1.68 million. Key takeaway from the report is the persistence in initial claims below 200,000 reflects a very tight labor market and a reluctance on the part of most companies to cut their workforce, which will continue to drive worries at the Fed about tight market conditions feeding into the stickier wage-based inflation pressures. In the February, uh, the Fed index was minus 24.3. The prior month, it took down minus 8.9. On Friday, the stock market opened decidedly weak, carrying over from Thursday's downside momentum as investors looked to take some money off the table after a big run-up recently. Concerns about the Fed raising rates higher than expected or longer than expected also contributed to the early weakness. The general tone started to shift, however, as market rates backed down from overnight highs. The two-year yield, which hit 4.71% overnight, Settled the session down two basis points to 4.61%. The two year, 10 year yield, which hit 392 overnight, also fell two basis points to 3.83% on the day. Also, the main industry closed the session 
near their best levels this day, which had the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the Russell 2000 supporting slim gains. The S&P 500 and NASDAQ had their upside moves limited somewhat by downside pressure from the large cap or mega cap space. Looking at the year to date, we're finding that the Dow Jones Industrial Average is still up 2% for the year. The NASDAQ index is up 12% for the year. The S&P 500 index is up 6.2% for the year. And the Russell 2000 is up 10.5%. And looking at some of the high-frequency data that we track every week, we saw the initial jobless claims as of February 10th were 194,000. That was up a half of their actually, yeah, those data dropped at half a percent. Continuing jobless claims, 1.695,000. That also was an increase of a half percent. Those things turned around there. Employees have lots of room at theaters these days. As of February 16th, we had another 27% drop in the number of people in theaters. Rail car traffic as of the 10th of February was up 5.4%. Steel production was up 6.5% as of the 13th of February. Hotel occupancy for the weekending of the 11th of February was up 4.5%. Uh, operational state of industry, uh, restaurant industry as of the 16th was up 5.5%. TSA checkpoint bad as of February 16th, 2,035,424 passengers a day are with TSA checkpoints. That was up 5%. Supply and motor gasoline as of the 10th of February was up 1.8%. And global commercial flights as of the 16th of February, 107,721 flights a day. That was a decrease of nine-tenths of one percent. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Realizing. Change here on KGMI. We'll be back shortly. Thank you. You love what you find at Wilson's. You've noticed it. It's staying light out a little later when you get home. The trees are starting to bud. Yep, spring is on its way. And before you know it, you'll be wanting to relax and entertain at the biggest room at your place, your backyard. And a trip to Wilson's Furniture is all you need to find the perfect piece or grouping. Patio furniture that you'll enjoy this summer and for years of great summers to come. Teak, aluminum, resin, motion furniture, sectionals, fire pits, umbrellas, Wilson's has all of that and more. You'll find the largest display of patio and outdoor furniture north of Seattle. And everything you see on display in the showroom is available to go home with you today. And with the savings you'll find at Wilson's during their President's Day sale going on now, the relaxing has gotten a whole lot easier. Wilson's Furniture and Mattress open seven days a week on Pacific Highway in Ferndale and online 24-7 at wilsonhomefurnishings.com. COVID-19 has tested our communities in unthinkable ways. In the face of crisis, Puget Sound Energy has given over $18 million in bill assistance to customers impacted by the pandemic. And together with PSE Foundation, gave $4 million in community grants for COVID relief. All the while, PSE continues to lead on clean energy with a goal to reach beyond net zero carbon emissions by 2045. It's part of our commitment to doing what's right for customers and communities. Together, we're creating a clean energy future for all. Learn more at psc.com together. Every day, KGMI brings you the latest news and information, and we also give you a chance to express your opinion on a major news story of the day. Go to KGMI.com anytime and take part in our daily news poll to see what others are thinking and add your voice. We'll have an update during the KGMI afternoon news, and we'll give you a final tally and a new question each day during the KGMI morning news. Be part of the conversation with the KGMI daily news poll, another informative and free feature from KGMI. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Don't worry about furnace on the coldest days of the year. Talk with West Mechanical, your independent train dealer, about replacing your old inefficient furnace with a train comfort system. Today, find them at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. CBS News Brief. In rural Mississippi, six are dead after a man went on a killing spree at multiple locations. This man lives near a convenience store where the shooting started. I heard the gunshot from inside my house. I had just woken up and everything, and I look out the window, and I see 
You know, dude walking back here with a with a shotgun. Strong reaction to the not guilty pleas of the five ex-police officers charged in the fatal beating of Tyree Nichols. The United States Constitution rights were never designed for us, no way. Our civil rights get violated every day. 28-year-old Jamie Tran's been charged with two hate crimes. He allegedly shot two Jewish men outside synagogues in L.A. Law enforcement, both state, local, and federal, is taking every possible step to prevent these incidents and to react in the strongest possible way when hate crimes occur. That's Martin Estrada with the U.S. Attorney's Office. CBS News Brief. I'm Stacey Lynn. Because there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. Welcome back to What's Like to Fly. Johnny, you Saturday morning. Well, we're finding that more Americans will retire out of state in 2022. Reloaded Katie retirees were on the move again last year after the number of movers hit a new low in 2021. A new report by moving company Ira Help found that more than 234,000 Americans moved to retire in 2022, a 4% jump over 21. But like unlike other years, when most retirees fled to have newer, better homes or to be closer to family, the goal of many this time was to find destinations with cheaper housing. In fact, 12% of American retirees reported moving for that reason. It was one of the first times in a decade that cheaper housing edged out the desire for a new or better home. People are really concerned about the cost of living, and inflation is a big part of that. Only 10% of retirees in the study said that they relocated for newer, better housing. That's down from 18% as recently as 2019. The pandemic has also sent retirees packing. The number of retiree movers decreased from roughly 350,000 in 2018 to about $300,019, though there was a spike in 20 due to COVID-19. At that point, people were relocating to places where they felt safer or because they'd lost a job or income because they wanted to be with family or because of their work situation had changed and they could work remotely. Where did all these retirees end up? Well, many of them went to Florida. Ira Helper's reporter, Report 22, entitled Where Americans Moved to Retire This Year, found that retirees continued to flock to the Sunshine State, which attracted roughly 12% of all the retirees. The top metro destination for retiring movers was Sunshine was Palm Bay, Melbourne, Titusville area. North Carolina came in second with 9.6% of movers, followed by Michigan with 6.6%. Arizona and Georgia rounded out the top five, with Arizona attracting 5.9% of the movers and Georgia 5.8%. Michigan was also a surprise number three, uh, noting that most retirees want to go to states with warm weather. It's got to be a combination of being inexpensive and be some beautiful things in Michigan, like the Upper Peninsula, according to the report's editors. Homes near Detroit are reasonably priced. One notable, notable disappearance in this year's top 10 is Tennessee. The volunteer state notably edged out Florida last year as the most popular state for retirees and likely attracted to the low taxes, cheap housing, good weather, and Great Smoky Mountains. Highway Helpers 21 report showed that 20% of Americans under 65 left the state to retire in Tennessee, which is the lowest taxes in all the states. So its disappearance from 22 top 10 was a bit of a mystery. It is surmised that prices probably drove rose with the influx of the residents in recent years, and the state also had a record year for tornadoes in 21. Just as the clothing just as the clothing goes in and out of fashion, however, so do destinations. And it's quite a fashion for Tennessee for a while. Yet there's some basic places that will always be in style, and Florida is one of them. It's the little it's a little black dress in retirement. Uh, Idaho uh, sees similar patterns. Boise has the top city retirees flocked to in 2020. In 22, Idaho ranks behind Oregon and Maryland as the state retirees are most likely to leave. All of the inflow uh, kind of pushes the housing prices up, 
and but it's still cheaper than buying a home in a lot of other places. The migration study analyzed more than 107,000 local and long-distance moves in the U.S. booked through HireAHelper.com and its partner sites with affiliates with 22. The study also used data from the U.S. Census Bureau's current population survey and annual social economic supplements. How much is it going to take for retiring? There's four keys to a success in retirement. Financial media is often hyper-focused on current events and developments trying to time the market with investment selections or allocations. This is a narrow way of thinking. Most investors should really be emphasizing a long-term plan to achieving the goal of a comfortable retirement. Many people won't start thinking about retirement and the costs associated to the 40s or 50s. The good news is it's too late to build for a successful retirement. However, the earlier you start building knowledge and saving, the easier the process will be. Fortunately, markets are historically positive in the long term, and preparing for retirement ideally involves long-term investments. If you're feeling uncertain, a look at historical market performance can provide peace of mind if you consider the future. Key steps for success. Number one, determining you can retire comfortably and remain comfortable if retired comes down to four steps. One, estimating your need. Until you do the math, it's difficult to accurately assess how much money will be required to feel comfortable in retirement. When estimating your needs, look at potential income sources and subtract expenses from there. For instance, if you currently spend $100,000 a year and expect a $25,000 annual income stream in retirement from Social Security, then your estimated need is going to be about $75,000 a year if you want to maintain that lifestyle. However, Social Security expectations become less clear the further you are from retirement. Do uncertainty about your annual earnings and contribute with the program between now and then. That forecast of 75000 annual need in retirement will be influenced by inflation as well, to the point that retiring in 30 years would likely make the adjusted number more like 150000 that is adjusting that 75000 for inflation. Capitalizing the need. When calculating the need, how you can capitalize the needed, this entails determining how you pool your assets, and what they can generate adequate income that it will also accommodate the price and cost of living over time. A couple of guidelines here are the 4% rule and the 25% rule. The 4% rule indicates that you can withdraw 4% of your savings each year in retirement and reasonably expect that savings will last 30 years. To find out the value of an adequate retirement nest egg, will will let you withdraw 4% a year. Multiply your anticipated yearly withdrawal by 25. In the example above, multiplying 75,000 by 25 equals 1.88 million. So you would want to have at least that amount saved for up by the time you retire. Setting your savings target. Set a savings target. Look at your current assets and see where you stand relative to capitalized need. Consider life changes that look, that may happen before retirement, such as selling a business, receiving an inheritance, or downsizing your residence. Such a significant capital change could greatly increase your balance for retirement. Conducting this evaluation will help determine whether you're currently on target to capitalize on your needs in retirement and now and must boost your savings. Creating withdrawal plan. Unfortunately, many people don't properly execute a retirement plan because they fail to save enough. The cost of living has been rising for decades and will likely continue to do so. So making a pivotal factor where when developing a withdrawal plan, but all too often, people don't appropriately address the consideration or handle the actual withdrawals well. On the previously mentioned 4% rule is a good starting point. The amount withdrawn each year must also accommodate inflation. Creating and following a withdrawal plan is crucial because of its need to impose limits on how much additional income is withdrawn amid inflationary environments. And the fact that withdrawing money during down markets can make it difficult for the portfolio to recover. You also have to consider legislative policy changes. At times, changes so do policies and legislation surrounding the financial institutions and markets. So how do investors position themselves to be successful regardless of how much changes that can arise? The short answer is planning is done right. They shouldn't have to worry. Investing is most effective in a long-term strategy. And if you're investing with a short-term approach, 
then new policies and legislation can greatly impact your portfolio. But these changes should have minimal impact if you're investing for the long-term and diversified portfolio assets allocates assets allocates assets to various sectors and companies. The reasoning, no matter the economic situation, money is still going to flow. Consumers and businesses are still going to spend. The difference is how they spend. At the height of the pandemic, for example, many consumers spent their money on goods and services delivered to their homes rather than going out to eat, buying gym memberships, or attending concerts and sporting events. And there's also the building building. Best way to set yourself up for a comfortable retirement is to begin planning your early life. By getting started in your 20s or 30s, following the four keys detailed above, you'll have a likely better feeling prepared for less stress as retirement nears. In addition to saving, when you still have decades left until retirement, I recommend checking with your financial advisor annually to evaluate, potentially adapt to your plan. You can also get closer to retirement. You might want to increase those check-ins to once or twice a year. A consistent review process with your advisor should contribute to building a nest egg. Belief in the markets is a pivotal in your place of my peace of mind when preparing for retirement. History clearly shows two fundamental trends. One, goods and services will buy, we buy will get more expensive over time, which is why equally exposure is important. And two, the more we zoom out of our market returns, the less volatile they become, underlining the importance of patience and long-term thinking. It's almost impossible to know which direction the S&P 500 might turn tomorrow or what impact a new government policy can have on a particular stock. It doesn't need to be a concern because market performance is more predictable in the long term. The priority is to learn the basics of markets, such as the understanding why diversification is crucial and how to balance. From there, everything we do should help build your belief that markets actually work because they do. Set up your long-term plan. Start saving early. Diversify your investments, check in regularly with your advisor, and feel confident the market will lead you to a comfortable retirement. Stick down here with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here on KGMI. We'll be back shortly. 62, 63, 64, Medicare. So many of us get hung up on our age, but what we fail to realize, we've been paying for health insurance since we were old enough to work, which means we may actually be getting a raise once we're on Medicare. Sound complicated? Let D&D Insurance help make the complicated task of enrolling for your health insurance a little less complicated. I'm Derek, and my wife Denise and I, along with our amazing staff of family and friends, keep things running here at D&D Insurance. We try to help anyone and everyone navigate this ever-changing world of health insurance. Whether you're retiring and trying to figure out Medicare supplements and Medicare Advantage plans, an employer looking for better benefits for your employees, or you're self-employed and needing a plan for yourself and family, we're here to help. Give us a call at 392-8159. See you at D&D Insurance, where we try to make the complicated uncomplicated. Dr. John's Auto Clinic, located in Bellingham on Kentucky Street, is here for your auto repair and service needs. Trusted and affordable auto repair in Bellingham for over 25 years. Ask about their oil change and maintenance inspections. You can hear Brian from Dr. John's Auto Clinic every Saturday on In the Shop on Newstalk 790 KGMI. Or check out Dr. John's Auto Clinic at djautoclinic.com. And on Facebook for the latest in auto repair news. Dr. John's Auto Clinic, reliable, honest, and a part of this community for over 25 years. In the shop. It makes me sad. It makes me uncomfortable to have to say, yeah, well, it is a nice car. Love the color of the paint. You know, the seats feel great. (laughs) Kirk from Angler, Brian from Dr. John's, and Dan from Bellingham and Burlington Automotive. You need (laughs) 10,000 bucks worth of repairs. Join them on In the Shop, 9 to 10 a.m. every Saturday on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Welcome back to World Wake Up Live. It's Saturday morning. You got questions for us? Give us a call 360 733 1200. Well, 
seeing that Americans with college degrees saw their wages decline from most in the last two decades. When it comes to wages, fortunes flipped last year for college and high school graduates. In 2022, median annual pay was $52,000 for Americans with a bachelor's degree, according to data released by the New York Federal Reserve. This is a 7.4% decline in adjusted income, inflation-adjusted income terms. The steepest one since 2004, erasing nearly all of the pre-pandemic gains, and it's sharpest for those earning the most. Meanwhile, wages accelerated 6% in real terms to 34,320 for those with only a high school diploma, the biggest gain in more than two decades. And while secondary degree holders still paid more, those who paid and did attend college were catching up. Americans with only a high school diploma, those that didn't didn't attend college, I could say. Americans with only a high school diploma beat 93% of what made 93% of what recent graduates with a bachelor's degree in the bottom quarter of the wages made. The ratio's up uh, to 79% in 2021. And it's back to the level seen in 2019 when tight labor markets were boosting pay at the lower end of the spectrum. The data underscores the demand for service sector workers and those in segments of the economy where technical skills are more important than college degree, such as plumbing and electrical work. It also shows the eroding value of an expensive bachelor's degree as more Americans get one. Increasing competition is, is part of the labor market. Since December of 2020, wages have grown more than rapidly for high school-only uh, workers, according to the data that tracks median wages for those ages 22 to 27 that are working full-time. This is a flip from dynamics over the past 20 years, according to the Atlanta, Atlanta Fed wage tracker. Recent graduates are still able to find work pretty quickly, with an unemployment rate of 4.1% in December. That compares with 3.9% in March of 2020. But not surprisingly, unemployment rates vary by college major. Nursing and education graduates experience uh, an unemployment rate below 2% as the industry desperately needs to be staffed after the pandemic exodus of workers. In such fields as philosophy, the rate increases to 9%. I'll give you a few comparisons here. Major in fine arts, the unemployment, uh, major is the highest unemployment. Uh, 12.1% major fine arts. Their median early career wage is about 40000 and their median mid-career wages, wages run about 65000 A philosophy major, 9.1% are unemployed. A median uh, early wage, 42000 Median Median mid-career, about 68000 uh, Sociology major, 9% unemployed. Again, early wage, 40000 Mid-career, 61,000. Family and consumer sciences, 8.9% unemployed. 37,000 early wage, 60,000 mid-career. Mass media, 8.4% of them are unemployed. 40,000 is the early wage in their career. 75,000 is their median mid-career. Commercial art and graphic design, 7.9% unemployed. Starting wages about forty-three thousand, mid-career about seventy thousand. A foreign language major, seven point eight percent of them are unemployed. Forty-three thousand is their beginning wages, and somewhere around sixty-five thousand is their median career. And performing arts majors, seven point six percent of them unemployed. Thirty-nine thousand is their early wage career, about sixty-two thousand as they hit mid-career. So some interesting numbers on some of those wages. Different categories that are available in education. Well, Americans have nearly a trillion dollars in credit card debt, stubbornly high prices, robust consumer spending uh, collided in the fourth quarter of 22, pushing credit card balances to a record high of $986 billion. That's a $61 billion increase in the prior quarter. It's the biggest seen data going back to 1999, and it felt Americans' total credit card debt passed the previous high of $927 billion, 
which was scheduled in the fourth quarter of 2019, according to New York Fed's household debt and credit report. Credit card borrowers aren't just swiping more plastic than ever, they're missing payments too. Delinquency rates surpassing pre-pandemic norms, a little over 4% of credit card debt was transitioned to serious delinquency, which means they're falling more than 90 days or more. The surge in credit card debt marks a dramatic shift from just a couple of years ago when stimulus checks allowed household Americans, consumers to save and pay down balances. In early 21, credit card balances have dropped 17% from the pre-pandemic high, according to a report from bankrate.com. Now inflation is driving up costs of everything from food to gas, with repeated rate hikes from the Federal Reserve, uh, push credit card interest rates to nearly 20%. And although credit card balances ballooned by $130 billion from December of 21 to December of 22, that's the largest annual growth on record. As the Fed continues to hike interest rates, credit card borrowing costs are expected to hit a 40-year high this year. The triple-double, the triple-troubles in credit card borrowers, balances are up, rates are up, and more people are carrying credit card debt. 46% of credit card holders are carrying debt up from 39% a year ago. And we're also finding that older Americans are richer than they thought, according to Census Bureau data. Older Americans have higher incomes than previously thought, according to uh, experimental data that's been developed by the U.S. Census Bureau. The Bureau this week published the first estimates from its National Experimental Week Wellbeing Statistics or News, a project that aims to fix measurement errors in income and poverty data. The initial study looked at 218,000 or 2018 numbers, and the research team plans to extend the analysis to other years. One key finding among households who are 65 or older, the median income was estimated to be 27% higher than in the previous analysis, and poverty rate is 3%, 0.3% lower than previously announced. The change to other groups was smaller. Still, the uh, general trend has been to revise incomes up for older households and rise them down for younger ones, widening the generation gap. What's more, since the 65 and over cohort accounts for a sizable chunk of the population, the shift is big enough to impact some widely watched numbers in the overall population. Median income for all Americans in 2018 was 6.3% higher equivalent to some $4,000 in new measurement of the old ones, and nationwide poverty rate was 1.1% percentage points lower. <clears throat> the new data also changes the picture of income measured by racial and ethnic groups. It found that median incomes among Hispanic Americans was 12% higher than the other data set than, than the old in the older data set, while whites got a 6.6% boost. The increase among blacks and Asian Americans were similar. So the census data emphasized that the new analysis is an experimental data product that is up from an early stage with much work remaining to be done. The reason for the changes, according to the Bureau, is the sources of incomes vary according to age cohorts. Other surveys uh, tended to overweight wage, salary, and earnings. The key source of income for the working age population, while not fully capturing pensions and withdrawals from defined bed contribution plans such as 401ks, will play a bigger role among the 65 and over group. Changes in how administrative records are gathered and other agencies now allow Census Bureau researchers to better assess a wider range of data, enabling them to develop updated methodologies. And I got a question this week about Social Security claiming. It says, I'm about starting to receive my Social Security benefits. I have a 12-year-old child. Can I file for my child and start receiving some benefits based on my contribution? The answer is yes. If you begin collecting Social Security, your child will be eligible to receive a Social Security benefit based on your earnings. Your child will receive up to 50% of your full retirement age benefit. 
to be eligible, your child must be un, un, unmarried and under the age of 18. If your child is still in high school, they may continue to receive benefits until the age of 19. Keep in mind that there's a family maximum amount, which generally ranges from 150 to 180 percent above your, your, your income, your Social Security benefit. So if you have a spouse or additional children collecting off your benefit, these payments may impact the family maximum that's got applied. So if we get these questions, try to answer them when we can. So here's another one. Okay, well, Dick Donahue with you. Well, we live here on KGMI Saturday morning. Thank you for listening. Don't forget our show tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Uh, got questions for us? Give us a call, 360-733-1200, and have a great week. Thanks for being with us. Voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor.